Hello and welcome to My Biggest Lesson, the show that brings you the key learnings from the most influential founders, executives, and investors in the Colorado tech community. My name is Adam Burrows. And I'm Chris Erickson. Together, we are the co-founders of Range Ventures. An early stage venture firm based in Denver. You can find out more about what we're up to at range.vc. Our guest this week is Bob Hall. Bob is the COO at Outrider, the pioneer in autonomous yard operations for logistics hubs. This is super cool, futuristic stuff happening right here in Colorado. Bob's a tech executive with over 20 years of experience in product strategy and business operations for high growth system software and services companies. Bob, thanks so much for joining us today. Yeah, you're welcome. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me. Start out with your story and a little bit about Outrider and what you're up to now and how you got to this point. The short, compact story is I began my career in a corporate VC firm called uh, Palo Alto Ventures, which was part of Philips Electronics. That's where I had my first experience evaluating technology-driven companies for investment purposes and then I joined a venture-backed startup called Mahi Networks, which was a uh, Sequoia benchmark, you know, Goldman-backed telecom systems company in the early 2000s. And I played a key role, you know, young guy, just everything from market, product marketing, business development, product management role to help build a fast-growing company. Went to business school and after business school, did a stint in growth equity at Summit Partners where I spent time evaluating investments in SaaS and web services companies. And this, uh, along with uh, my other experiences, really cemented my interest in working with really high growth, innovative companies. And then after a few career moves, helped, you know, after Summit joined a company that I had actually been pursuing while there fast-growing web video monetization business called Yumi that I uh, we, we took to IPO. And, um, you know, after that company joined us, a similar business, a marketing automation business that I led through to, to acquisition. And then, you know, fast forward to in the late 2010s, took some time off after that, some personal time. And then Andrew Smith, who was uh, my classmate at, at Dartmouth, we went to Tuck School of Business together. Uh, we're classmates. He reached out with an idea for a company. He wanted me to help with the product and strategy and customers and recruiting everything, fundraising. And I took him up on it. And um, that that company became Outrider. And here I am. Bob, that's a really, really great story. And I know Outrider is is really on the cutting edge of some interesting stuff in, in robotics and autonomous vehicles. We'd love to hear a little bit about how that's been going. It's just been going incredibly well. It's been really fun and, you know, so far, you know, great success in this business. We're a little bit about what we do. We're creating and delivering this, the whole sort of product category of what we call autonomous yard operations, which focuses on a critical link in the supply chain, um, the distribution yard uh, or the, you know, trailer yards. And think of the trailer yard as basically it's a parking lot where, you know, big rig, you know, semi-trailers are parked and moved to enable the process of getting freight from 
say, a storage area, a warehouse or a distribution center to the public roads. You know, our company, our product is, you know, is essentially this three-part integrated system. It's software, a SaaS component, which is really cool, draws on my background, an autonomous, you know, a self-driving truck, and then, you know, technology or infrastructure that goes at a, you know, a big customer site or a distribution hub. You know, our effort here is all around automating all the manual repetitive tasks in these distribution yards for large you know, Fortune 500 logistics dependent companies. And it's really cool. This is a, it's a critical part of the supply chain. It's, it's pervasive and important um, because the, the yard, the thing we're focusing on really affects how the efficiency of goods getting to doorsteps and store shelves. Our goal is to make that whole process more efficient, safer, and more sustainable. We're working with just some, you know, phenomenal, very large companies that are, you know, really driving the global supply chain. And, you know, we're working with companies that represent about, you know, 20% of the overall TAM in this market we're creating. So really exciting stuff. Wow, sounds like a super exciting things outright. I want to switch gears a bit to the Colorado tech scene. So you, you moved here to Colorado in 2019. Uh, so I'd love to hear two things. You know, one, just your, your perspective on what you've seen here and why you're excited about what's going on in tech here. And then we'd love you to contrast it a bit to some of your time in the Bay Area because you spent over a decade plus there. Um, and so I'd love to hear what you see, similarities, differences, pros, cons about each ecosystem. Really love the, the Colorado, the tech ecosystem. I feel like just getting right to the point, the contrast, I feel like there, it, it is a more close knit, smaller community. And obviously that's the case. Denver's a, a much smaller metropolitan area than the Bay Area. And I felt like it was really welcoming. I came here and, you know, probably maybe it's a, 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 in large part, you know, Outrider, we're doing cool stuff and people want to find out about it. But I also felt like people were very generous with like invitations and bringing me into, you know, welcoming the the random guy moving from the Bay Area. And so that sort of warmth and, and the, the intimacy um, is, I feel like it's special and unique. And the Bay Area was wonderful. I mean, I was there for over 20 years. I'm born and raised in California, uh, at least for the most part. And then spent a lot of time there after school. I love the Bay Area. I love California. But there was this sense it was like so big and, and tech had become such a well sort of documented sort of ecosystem and I guess phenomenon, for lack of a better word. It, it, there were, it, it just felt very big and it felt like, you, you know, you could be a, totally lost and, and anonymous in the shuffle of all the different industries and categories, um, you know, developing there, evolving there. You come to Colorado and you feel like it's smaller. There's there's still like breadth of technology companies. There's hardware, software, services, but the number of people is so much less. You get a really great chance to just develop some some really special relationships. And despite my you know coming here and we had a, a our second child right after we moved here, and then COVID happened, there was really like the the fog of that. I, I still feel like I've been able to develop some some great relationships. And that's that's one thing that, you know, really close relationships in a short amount of time. I feel like that's, you know, potentially in contrast to like the big, you know, the chaotic atmosphere of the Bay Area. Yep. Yeah, you know, it, it's 
Colorado reminds me much more of the Bay Area sort of circa 2011, 2012, where I felt like it was smaller. The people starting companies were doing it because they just had to go solve the problem. And everyone was super helpful and connected, right? Yeah. And willing to take the time to do it. Contrast when, you know, I, we also left the Bay Area at the very end of 2019. It had changed a lot, right? And to your point, it had yeah, felt like yeah. this hectic, you know, competitive, why are people doing this, you know, different motivations than before. And it's been really refreshing to me as to what originally attracted me and kept me in the Bay Area, I feel like has been recreated here. And I'm really excited about that. Totally agree. Yeah. It, like Silicon Valley became like a Hollywood or like a Wall Street, like that's just the place you go for technology. And some people, you know, and when you're you're going there for all that excitement. It just seems like it's a little less intentional. I originally moved back to San Francisco after college because I just love, you know, the basics. I love the the smell of the air. I loved how it felt small and intimate. And that obviously was, you know, very different by the, the late 2010s. Whereas Denver feels like, it feels like people are, there's people from all over the place here, but it's a very intentional choice to move here. And you get this like group of people that have selected for that. Yeah. And, and Bob, I think what's, what's great is we see, you know, the the flywheel starting to, to, to really take effect here. Uh, we just invested in a company that was a spin out of Outrider, right? And you're starting to see those type of things happen uh, more and more as companies like Outrider continue to grow and become more successful. We expect even more of that. So what's a company aside from Outrider that in the local ecosystem that you're excited about right now? I'm not super familiar with the team there, but in terms of like just you know, representing the, the big mission of, of companies here in Colorado. I love Boom Supersonic uh, because it is is attacking like a, a really important mission and making, you know, air travel, you know, air transportation more sustainable. And it's just, you know, it's, it's big systems. It's got a big ambitions to just clean up, you know, the, the carbon footprint of air transportation and, you know, they're, they're going for it. And I feel like this is, you know, it's an, it's an exciting project that the whole area can get to, to back. Because if they're successful, I just feel like it says a lot about the ability for, you know, for very big, complex, ambitious tech initiatives to, to find their, their home in Denver. And there's a lot of like, there's a lot of like analogs or correlators between something like a boom and something like Outrider, which you know, even though we're software driven, it's very, you know, hardware, there's a there's a very sort of real world hardware aspect to what we're doing as well. Bob, let's jump into to why we're here. We'd love to hear about your biggest lesson. How did you learn it? Some examples of it? And how do you yeah. apply it to your life today? A lot to unpack there. So keep me on track to, to, to answer this. But I think the 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 great sort of epiphany I had, the, the biggest lesson I've had, especially in the, my last almost five years at Outrider is as a startup exec, you are in sales from day one and you have to get really good at sales or persuasion and convincing. You know, selling is obviously doing a lot of convincing, persuading, closing to really, you know, prosecute that sort of sales role across all functions of the company. You really also need to be a buyer perform the critical evaluation and assessment and, and, you know, with potentially a, a high degree of skepticism because they're, you know, choices, you really have to be disciplined about the choices you make. So and it's important to keep both your, your selling and your buying in balance. Cause if they're out of balance, obviously you can over torque and, and, and really, you know, 
try to win customers, win recruits, win investors, suppliers in our case, um, that may not be the exact right fit. So you really have to keep this building adherence, building people who will evangelize your mission in in balance with picking the right people to do that with. Can you give an example on the selling side? Because this is something Adam and I look for in all of our founding teams. Is We say they have to be great salespeople, right? Across a number of dimensions, because you have to raise money, which is selling, mm-hmm. right? You have to recruit people, which is selling, yep. right? And you have to get your first customers. And no rational company or employee should ever buy from a startup or work for a startup. And so we'd love to hear some examples of how you learned that lesson and if there are any specific selling skills you had to develop along that journey. Yeah, all throughout the time. And and I will say just a sidebar, it's like it's almost like the most obvious thing to say about your biggest lesson at a startup. It's like of course you're selling, but like you really all your all my roles previous to this were you were kind of tightly bound in a specific area. And when you really think about selling, like you are giving your entire you know, your personal and professional life to get to accomplishing a goal. And so I use the lowercase s sales, like the, the broad sort of definition of that, not the, the functional definition. But I realized that, you know, really early on at Outrider, when I was packaging and pitching the company for every audience that, you know, there were so many sales opportunities, customers, uh, media, investors, and obviously raising money. For an autonomous systems company like Outrider, getting suppliers, and then of course, especially recruiting. So you just need to know you need to know enough about the technology, the product, the roadmap, the overall you know the market and industry landscape to package messages and speak very specifically and persuasively to each audience. Um, and, you know, and you obviously have to get give yourself that personal conviction so that you can then transfer that conviction to other people. Um, And most interesting, you know, this is a launching off point for discussion, but like probably the most interesting was recruiting, which was totally new to me. You know, I'd obviously hired people before um, for, for teams that I built throughout my career, but, but I hadn't sourced them. I hadn't done the cold pitches. I hadn't done like full, what's called like full life cycle recruiting and really like sort of documented that whole process um, and you really, again, you need, need that level of technical expertise to be an effective salesperson and recruiter, especially in robotics. Like you really need, you know, there, that is a completely a very arcane, very specialized, you know, domain within tech. But I would just say broadly, like w- whichever way you look, you feel like you must win adherence, you must win, you must close the sale, if you will. And you're sort of context switching between all these, all the people that you want to convince to come join the cause. And you've really got to be v- very good at balancing that buying and selling, like winning people over, but also still internally maintaining that critical evaluation screen. And this was this was different. Like when I when Andrew was like, "Hey, join as the COO. I want to have you as my partner to help run the company." There were just so many other jobs to do. There's you know there's analysis and process and operational excellence. And I but I realized, especially if in, if you just take something like recruiting, there's not much of a company to operate without people building the product. So though I thought I'd spend all my time on just strategy and product and fundraising, we there were like major things that we had to accomplish and build and people and the team really was that area where I got deep into like the sell mode. 
I would love to hear a specific example. We've had just such great success fundraising and, and winning customers and, and frankly, even winning, you know, suppliers that were competing with like large automotive companies to get access to like certain sensors or components. But I picked one from, from recruiting, which, which was really fun. So this was recruiting our CTO, a guy named Vittoria Zipero. So the sale, so to speak, was more than just getting a new hire. So Vittorio had an amazing background, was really highly regarded, but I realized I was, I wasn't just recruiting a person to run our engineering team and be the, you know, the chief technical officer. I was picking a partner and this meant completely blurring the lines between work and personal life. And I, I realized as, as we got into more discussions, the only way to convince him to join the company and relocate from California, yet another California uh, refugee was to completely immerse myself in the, you know, if you will, the sale. So this was, it went well beyond just like talking about the company and our product and our mission and customers. I mean, I, I really had to get into as a new, you know, two years in, I had to really sell Colorado. I had to sell the city, the outdoors, the opportunities for his kids and provide info about schools and neighborhoods and doctors and yeah, in a way, I had to convince him to, to to move here. I had to sell like the overall lifestyle in the state, but it it was sort of like a, a I had to kind of defend my own lifestyle choice in in convincing him to move here. And like, why did I think this was great? And I, I really felt like you know I had to like really ask some probing questions of myself in order to represent what was so great about this opportunity. And you know, this is what I had to do to close the deal. And it was you know it was interesting journey for me because while I was doing that and I was like, wow, I really kind of have to make, you know, again, blur those lines between my professional and personal life. I still had to evaluate it. I still had to be the, the sort of the buyer, if you will, like keep the bar very high as we assess, you know, culture fit and leadership and communication style. So I had to, you know, simultaneously maintain this, this, this woman positive, you know, sort of outlook with him and make sure I was able to close him, but also asking like really tough penetrating questions about, you know, like engineering decisions and what he'd do in, in certain situations. So this was, this was eye opening, you know, especially, you know, it was especially a, a growth opportunity for me beyond just like pitching investors and customers, because I, this was like a 24 seven job for me. That was like our first big new senior hire. Bob, I got a similar pitch from Adam when making the decision to move here, but he also promised me it would never snow and that it would never be below 50 degrees as well. So, you know, I, I need to revisit, you know, some of those facts that, that I was told in the pitch. Well, <laughs> I, yeah, hope but, we are not, I hope we, are, we don't get to a point uh, where, where it is not snowing and it, it doesn't get cold here, but I, I have to say the weather is a lot nicer than... Well, I think one of the points you just touched on, I think is really interesting are these, these type of sales conversations that aren't so black and white where you're actually buying and selling in the same conversation, which yeah. has been one of the interesting things for, for Chris and I on our side of the table in, in BC that we've been doing the last few years. Every conversation we have with a founder really follows that same format, right? A founder is formally pitching us, but yeah. the, the, the best, um, many of the best deals are very competitive. And so we're oh, yeah. always pitching range as well. And that's always an interesting, line to walk. And, and I'm just curious to get what you found is most effective there. Maybe some things you've seen that you either 
have seen or, or experienced yourselves that you know didn't go so well in those type of conversations and what ultimately you think is the winning formula there? So there's a few things I had to do. I mean, you know, you just have to completely refactor your schedule, make yourself completely available day and night. And, and this is some of this is a little obvious because like, of course, you know, building a company, you're spending a lot of time on it. But specifically around like recruiting customers, recruiting candidates, you don't have your own schedule. And the best way to really, really get comfortable with that is, is really having your own person, you know, you've got to kind of sell yourself, you've got to have your own personal conviction, and really get yourself fired up before you then make available, you know, all these, all your resources, all your, your schedule. So, you know, it, it involved doing that, developing like, you know, really rigorous process before you sell and are focused on persuading people, like a little bit of rigor to make sure that you are, you know, applying that sales energy and, and conviction to the, to the right people or to the right, you know, customers or places. Um, um, and then you just have to mobilize everyone. You have to like, everyone is going to help you that like close again, to use the sales term, people's networks, you are, you know, engineers, you're, you know, you're getting on sales calls, or you are having the head of software engineering, make a phone call to someone um, in, you know, potentially in operations to tell them about the company and what they think is special. I mean, you are, there is no resource that you do not marshal or call upon to enable that. But there's, you know, there's certainly ways that you can, um, where it can go south. I mean, you, you can overdo it. You can definitely oversell. We're just like lots of other tech companies, we, we battle the, the Amazons and the Googles and the, you know, and the, the Facebooks and the like for exceptional talent. And, you know, when you're at a young company, you really want to sell the, the vision, like the, you know, the, the momentum and the, the progress of the company. But if you go too far, they, they will think that there is a level of maturity or, or sort of a sophistication of process and infrastructure that you don't have. And they come in and they're like, Oh, I have to, I have to do this. Like I have to build the desk or I have to go, you know, you know, main, maintain servers. My, you know, it's like, yeah, like we're, there's just not, we don't have thousands of people here doing all these highly segmented jobs. So there, there's pitfalls where you can, you know, you can oversell and, and not the, the customer or the, you know, the candidate might not be totally calibrated to what, how they have to sign up for this, this process of growth and development. And this is, this is a journey. It's not like you don't, you didn't arrive here and the destination is all fully formed. Absolutely. Absolutely. Bob, great lesson. Thank you very much. Best of luck on continued success at Outrider. And how can our listeners get in touch with you or, or follow what you're up to? Follow us at, on our website, outrider.ai. And we are active on social media as well. Look us up on LinkedIn. We're posting lots of really exciting stuff about our technology, our customers, and our culture there. Um, you can find us on, on Instagram and Twitter as well. Thanks, Bob. Appreciate the time. All right. Thanks, guys. 